0: Tools for living, room to grow. A space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, Episode 24. I don't know about you, my friend, but I can get so busy taking care of life. All the people I love, the responsibilities of being a pastor's wife and a mama. Well, it can all demand our attention so much that we neglect taking care of ourselves. In today's episode, Rebecca Lyons talks about her own personal struggles that inspired her new book, Rhythms of Renewal, trading stress and anxiety for a life of peace and purpose. Doesn't that sound wonderful? I'm telling you, you're going to love this interview. Rebecca talks so honestly and openly about some seismic life changes and and panic attacks that really made her stop and look at what she needed to do to become whole body, mind, and spirit. But then at the end, she and I have a very real and honest, and I think heart-touching conversations about the joys and challenges of raising special needs kids. I know you're going to be blessed by this episode. Every single part, I certainly was. I love it, I love it, I love it when women let God get His hands on them. And I am excited to share uh, a new book by Rebecca Lyons called "Rhythms of Renewal: Trading Stress and Anxiety for a Life of Peace and Purpose." Rebecca, you're probably familiar with her. She's a national speaker, a best-selling author of several books that have just God has used in mighty ways. But this new book, um, I've just really fallen in love with the message and what um, and how God's using it, Rebecca. I saw you've been on the Today Show and all sorts of opportunities. Tell us a little bit about the book and, and how it came to be.
1: Sure. Uh, well, you know, it's funny. We never really know when we're walking through something hard that it might turn into something beautiful. In fact, that's probably the furthest thing from our minds in those yeah. moments or in those seasons. But You know, I think my first hard season, like one that I could calculate and kind of mark as a turning point in my life was when my firstborn arrived at age 26. It was, uh, you know, 39 weeks, emergency C-section found out he was only four and a half pounds, hadn't grown at the end. And, and then, um, I had two epidurals in 20 minutes and started to suffocate, felt like I was dying on the table. It was this traumatic entree to motherhood. And I didn't get to hold him till the next day. And in the meantime, the doctor came in in the middle of the night and said, we see signs of Down syndrome in your baby. And Mm. it just shifted everything quickly. Uh, It's one of those days you'll never forget, you know, start to finish. Everything is in living color. And I think God got loud for me in that year of grief of maybe releasing the life I thought it was going to look like as motherhood and just being willing to just surrender to whatever it actually was. And God used that season to draw me close, to to get loud. And then nine years later, in God-like fashion, this was an invitation to do it again. And this time it was a proactive choice of moving Cade, who is now nine, Pierce, who is seven, and Kennedy, who is four, to New York City. And the reason that we went to New York is kind of funny because after Kate was born nine years prior, um, my husband and I just said, hey, the, the things we used to hold valuable, we now are releasing and things we used to overlook, we now hold dear. And so what if we just reshift and reorder our lives? we're in our mid twenties. What do we know? I'm like, (laughs) we've barely begun to live and now we're going to (laughs) reshift what we think is important in life. And, and so we started a nonprofit and we would convene leaders around the the country to talk about what faithfulness looks like and when culture seems lost. And we wanted to stay curious, think well and advance good in our city. So we would convene people on the front lines of culture arts, media, government policy, education, who, uh, approached it from a lens of faith. And so many of those people came through New York. So it seemed to make obvious sense that we should sell everything we had and move to New York city. And I'm thinking it's a midlife reset. Like I'm going to just reawaken to who Rebecca was before she had kids because my youngest was starting kindergarten. And I was going to have a few hours back per day to figure out what in the world I was doing, uh, with my life beyond the walls of our home. And Four months into my time in New York, I have my first panic attack. I think I was just probably afraid of the unknown, of the, the 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 midlife reset or the interruption yet again. Like it was with Kate, it was an unexpected interruption. With New York, it was a proactive interruption, but regardless, it was it was a fruit basket upset. Like everything you thought was gonna look like this is now different again. And the problem with this second version, and the first one, I surrendered a lot faster. And the second one, it was almost pulled from me uh, because I kept trying to will my way into health. But when your body starts to act out is in these panic attacks that you co- cognitively cannot explain. Your mind is is irrational. You are acting as if you're physically being held at gunpoint, yet there is nothing That's actually afraid or terrifying in the room. There's nothing scary, but your body is responding as if you're going to die if you don't escape.
0: Mm. Was this a new emotion or was that kind of just resurfaced from, from an earlier time?
1: It was, uh, well, in my mind, it was new. I would say on the other side of it, it was PTSD from what I experienced the day Kate was born. It was very much of a smothering, shallow breathing. I got to get out. I got, I it. Uh, it was like that anxious, like I got to run. I can't breathe. I got, I, I'm going to die. This, this feeling of being trapped, mm-hmm. um, metaphorically, um, figuratively, literally. And I've learned as I study claustrophobia now that, that, that it really does, it's it's symbolic of a season of life where you felt trapped, maybe directly or indirectly. It was like literal, but it could have been a season or a relationship or a context or um, a physical restraint that um, triggers when there are something, when you enter a situation that takes you back to that place. So that smothering was what I felt on the table. And that smothering is what I would feel in a tight space. Like I literally mm-hmm. start to hyperventilate. And um the good thing is that when you get to the end of yourself again, you know, like <laughs> I did as a uh, again, I just was like, Well, I don't even have an option but to surrender. I don't even want to, but I literally have no other choice. Yeah. And um I remember year in crying out to God and that was a moment where right before that I was just like, babe, I I don't even know who I am anymore. Um, I've lost all sense of self. And um, I just kind of reminded this idea of you lose your life, you find it again. And um, it was like that that next night, I woke up in my bed, gripped in fear and smothering, can't find my voice. And it was no longer siloed to small spaces. It was in my own home or uh, walking the streets or in a playground. And it was just everywhere. The smothering was everywhere. And um, he begins to pray, and I find my voice and I just cry out, Rescue me. In that moment, my body broke and all was still. And it was the first time I was flooded with peace that I didn't have to leave the environment for it to subside. And I I didn't have language for it then. I wouldn't have called it healing, but I did know something dramatic happened, like flooded with peace. And I stepped out the next day and knew I was starting a healing journey. And when you're sick, you only see inward when healing begins, you look up and you see everyone else and started to no- notice people just like me, gripped in fear. And was reminded of a verse I, I learned growing up. I'm not giving you spirit of fear, Rebecca, i am giving you power, love and a sound mind and started studying mental health. And within a year, I wrote the story in my first book, the Chronicle, the Crash and Burn and also kind of the rescue of God, surrender. Um... I started teaching and sharing and writing more about freedom and, and in general, I think, um, but what I knew is that, that there was a, there was a diligence required to live a life of sustained health. Because partly I was like, not to prevent from relapse, because I think relapse, relapse is a booger, but in some ways it happens to remind us, to remind us how frail we are, how dependent we are on God, how he is our portion every day. It's not like, Hey, here's a story of something that was fixed 10 years ago. Yeah, It's here's a story of how God shows up today and tomorrow and the next day. And to be that kind of dependent on him actually has been a real gift um, because I just hold life so loosely now. Um, I don't know another way. He t- it just feels like the, in- the interruption at 26. Now, Partly that's due to the fact that I grew up control freakish and firstborn type A. Um, so my muscle memory sometimes will want to try to control, but the minute I get there, I recognize myself and go, no, this isn't this isn't actually who you really are now or who you want to be. And so the dependency actually forces me to, in a way of empathy and kindness and humility for myself and for the people around me to go no. You could strong arm this thing because it's, it's how you used to survive, but you don't want to, it's, it's not going to be for your good or for his glory. And it's not going to be good for your people to do that either. It'll actually make you feel isolated and alone and afraid. So, so the book basically that, that we're talking about today is a culmination of seven years of discovering the rhythms that God is already in and that he invites us to join Him. So that we can find rest for our soul and we can find peace, the peace that Christ gives that the world cannot give. And then we can walk in the purpose that he's created and ordained and destined in the womb. And we can spin out living in our own ways outside of the boundaries of rhythm where we can submit and conform to these God-given rhythms, these four essential rhythms for our flourishing. And we can join them in a cadence where we come alive.
0: Mm, that is so good. That is so good. You know, I think sometimes, especially as a young woman who wanted to serve Jesus and do things for Him and felt called to ministry, um, but I was really, I, I was really operating out of a drivenness. Um, You know, I knew Jesus loved me with one part of my heart, but the other part thought I had to earn His favor. And God, in His mercy, let me crash and burn (laughs) as well. And I've really come to understand that He's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He's not the taskmaster that I am and that often he leads me in ways that are slower than I want to go, but they're so much better. And so I love, I love that this book, you've just kind of outlined the different sacred rhythms that God wants to use in our lives. Can you kind of unpack those for us? Sure.
1: The four rhythms are rest, restore, connect, create. And rest and restore are input rhythms. And connect and create are output rhythms. Because the idea is you cannot give what you haven't received. And the reason 77% of us are spinning out, feeling physical symptoms of stress today in our society is because we don't feel permission to rest. So instead we have sleepless nights, racing heart, racing mind, shallow breathing. We feel this chronic stress that we can't shake. And it's because we're tired. (laughs) First and foremost, we are tired. And we're tired under the work of our own uh, duress. Like we've actually created this. Um, now, there has been a cultural pressure to do it. You actually have to swim upstream now to, to actually rest because it's not really honored. It's not celebrated. There isn't financial <laughs> remuneration if you're going <laughs> to take a nap, typically. I don't know. I don't know if you get paid by the hour to take a nap. That would be a great job. <laughs> I know. I know. You can make a lot of money helping other people nap, but you certainly wouldn't get paid if you napped.
0: (laughs) So what does that look like in your life? How, How has rest become more a central part of what you're doing?
1: Well, it just has to be foundational. And so because, uh, you know, I've surveyed a lot of people have taken this quiz I offer online. It's RebeccaAlliance.com slash um, quiz. And it helps you. Um, it, it, it tells you what your healthiest rhythm is. 40 question, five minutes real fast. But it's this idea of like everyone has a rhythm that's most natural for us. That's our kind of effortless. But everyone scores lowest in rest. It's the funniest thing. It's the lowest rhythm. And yet it's the simplest mm-hmm. one. But no one feels permission to do it because there's a fear of missing out or our worth is a dependent on our latest accomplishment and all these things. So rest for me is so foundational now that I see because, and, and I'm, I'm a results girl. And a lot of us are that are moms because we just have to practically have tangible results to all the running we're doing with all the things for all the humans that we're responsible for. And so when I started to discover that, the effectiveness of my creativity was hugely dependent on my ability to rest. That, that like creativity that would come out of my books would come from like solitude, stillness, journaling, listening to God, having no agenda. That the real gold is mined when you stop trying so hard. Then all of a sudden, I was like, "Oh, well, gosh, this is like the Holy Grail. Why has nobody told me this?" You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 And so um, I started journaling every morning about mm, seven years ago when I started writing. And I had always done it sporadically to process pain because I'm a verbal processor. And I thought, I'm going to say- spare my husband the you know, daily <laughs> diatribe of all the things I'm trying to w- work through. And I just turned it into an ongoing conversation with God through my journal and through his word and through prayer and through liturgy and gratitude. And I just thought, you're going to help me sort this out. And it's so funny because that's when I started writing books. It's almost like I never wrote in my journal with the agenda to publish any of it, but what I uncovered in the journal journals, one per year, front to back. And now I write so small. I almost write two lines per line because I want to still have it for the whole year. And usually I fill it up too fast. So... (laughs) I'm a scarcity mentality girl when it comes to journaling because I'm like, you can only have so many journals to go back on. Well, and it's tidier that way, right? I know. I'm like, this is 2019, not like 2018 and March up through March. Like, we need it all in one year. It's almost hilarious because people saw a girlfriend of mine saw my journal like I don't know a few months ago because I had it with me at an event and 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 note to self, don't do that. Don't travel with your journals because if you lose it, man, whoo! <laughs> <laughs> You might as well just quit your job. because <laughs> And she saw how small I was writing. She's like, "Can you even read what you're writing?" I'm like, "Why are you double lining it?" I'm like, "Because I have too much in my brain to get out."
0: <laughs> I love it though. So it,
1: it's satisfying to you. Well, it's not that it's like, "Oh, I'm writing my hand off." It's more that I'm I'm working through a problem. In communion with God to a way that he gives me revelation. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. Um, uh, and I think that's what the Psalms were. Don't you think? Uh-huh. I feel like the psalmist did that. It was like lament, exuberance, lament, exuberance, lament, exuberance. And I'm thinking, I really relate to this, this human expression of emotion before God. There's a vulnerability and an intimacy and a communion that is so dear. Um, so in some s- small way, I'm, I'm encountering God in that way through that, through that right writing.
0: I found the exact same thing. It really, you know, and I am, <laughs> even though I'm a writer, I'm a reluctant writer, but mm-hmm. when it comes to journaling my walk with the Lord, I think that it's, it's done something. I don't even know how to explain it, but it's made my walk with him tangible. Yeah, And it really is my dialogue with him where I do the same thing. I work out all the problems and um, just kind of spill my guts. And how, what a sweet invitation. And like you say, the Psalms, David says that, pour out your heart to him, oh people. He cares for you. And yet we kind of tend to just stuff it, stuff it in and never get real. And I'm wondering if that isn't part of why we don't. Feel rest in our soul.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I absolutely agree. I think I. I remember one time journaling somewhere. I was on vacation again. Don't probably journal, but apparently I do because I have to still write. And I remember just thinking, like, God, if I didn't have the ability to express what's in my heart to you, it would almost just become stagnant in there and become toxic. Like, there's this input output flow. Um, that I write the rhythms in. But I also think a river of life has an input-output flow. Like there's, There needs to be movement in our relationship, like this active sitting, r- resting, waiting, acting, and then reflecting. And I'm thinking um, that's how I process. That's how I learn. That's how I discover and awaken to more of what you have. And I mean, I'm, I'm not saying everyone has to do it. It's, certainly people have different ways of communing with God. But for me, that's been a life change.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think until, you know, whether it's prayer or um, journaling or even prayerfully talking it through with a friend, sometimes like with my husband, just I need to get it out of my head and kind of spread out before the Lord to really be able to feel rest. Otherwise, I'm kind of constantly in turmoil. Have Have you kind of integrated some actual sleep patterns that have helped you with the rest
1: yes for sure um there's a chapter in the book routines for deep sleep and it's all about quieting your heart and your room and technology and preparing yourself for sleep and you think about nature this is the other thing i do in rest is like part of um A a sunrise emits natural blue light, which tells you to wake up, and a sunset emits natural red light, which is melatonin Mm. for your body, telling you to go to sleep. So, God's saying, even in the boundaries of rhythm I established in creation, um, I created in rhythm, you know, um, waves on the beach and satellites and, and constellations are in orbit, planets in orbit, and, you know, days, weeks, months, years, seasons, and then your bodies are in rhythm, heartbeat, pulse, cadence, walking in rhythm, like. Everything was actually meant to complement one another and to, and to operate and coexist. And so I was thinking the other day, like I had to drive early to the airport, early, early And I don't like doing this, but every once in a while I have to. And I watched the sunrise while I was driving. And I live in Franklin. And there's some rolling fields outside of Nashville that are beautiful. And I had just come, you know, I moved from the concrete jungle downtown Manhattan, Tribeca five years ago. So and now we have chickens. So that will give you a context to where I was and where I am now. And I was driving the airport and the the sunrise was so glorious that to me, I was just kept tearing up. And I just talked to God the whole way. I'm like, I can't believe that I feel like this is like a on display for me <laughs> right now because nobody else is awake, <laughs> at least out in the fields. There are more animals than people right here. And I'm thinking, thank you that I got to wake up to behold this because again, it's another way of communing with you, um, to appreciate you, to appreciate your, your created handiwork. Um, and so all those keep us in a restful place. I think deep sleep. I do a chapter on morning routine, one on Sabbath, one on, um, um, confessing, like getting quiet and examining the heart. Listen. Um, all those things I think are about our inner life, our spiritual health and making sure that if these, these four rhythms represent four areas of health. So you've got rest is spiritual, restore is physical uh connect is relational and create is vocational and i i think god is a holistic god and he he dwells in all those areas and he wants to see us as a whole daughter human right not just by what we do not by just who we are in our roles of relationships not just by how we abide but how we not just how we find strength it's it's the whole picture and i really honestly i would say that this year at age 45 is probably my first glimpse I've had in my adult human life of a comprehensive healing, uh, a holistic picture of walking as a daughter of God. And I'm not, I'm just scratching the surface. I'm not certainly not saying I'm arrived. but someone asked me when I brought my daughter home, we have a six-year-old that we just adopted from China with Down syndrome. So we have 18 to six, four kids. Um, And someone said, how do you think God sees you right now? And I couldn't stop crying. I go, I think he sees me as I'm no longer identifying myself as like, I'm a writer or I'm a speaker. I'm a mom. I'm a, I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I'm a friend. I I said, I think I'm now for the first time in my life starting to experience God as a beloved holistic version of a daughter. Um, and maybe it's adoption that's done that for me. Like my ability to see her as she is and love her has allowed me to l- let God, to see the way God has always loved me um, through adoption. Sometimes it's it's like when you're trying to convince a daughter you bring home from China that you're her mom, you realize that God all along is trying to be, convince you that he's, he's your father that loves you that same way. <laughs>
0: Wow. Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. Unpack that because I just sense there's some girls out there that need to hear that they are, that they belong, that they are loved.
1: Yeah. How do
0: we begin to scratch the surface? Because I agree, we're never going to get it here on this side of heaven. But how do we begin?
1: Well, You know, I think about the woman who loses herself on Jesus' feet, right? Or she like breaks a bottle of perfume and she washes his feet with her her hair and it's because she was the one in sin where everyone shamed and shunned. She had only known rejection and she'd only known condemnation. And then this, you know, this Messiah or this son of God or this rabbi comes on the scene and addresses her directly and ministers to her heart and looks her in the eye and, and it was so uncommon for that to happen, for her to be noticed and to be treated with grace and kindness that she, she confesses her sin. He forgives her sin. And she's so overcome by what all he's done for her. She begins to know that the love for her, right? Like the height, the depth, the breadth, the width, like she begins to comprehend the full love. And the only way she ever came to know that love is he saw her worst and and called out her best. And I wonder if like for a lot of us we have a hard time receiving love cuz really I truly I believe our fundamental purpose is for God to love us. We think our our purpose is to serve God and he's like how about you just start with the fact that you that in your brokenness and in your pain and in your struggle and your sin like I have nothing but love, abounding rich love for you. We could just stop there. I think um if we begin to know the height, the depth. The only way we know that is if we offer our worst and he responds with our best, credits us with his righteousness, says, I will never again remember your sins or your lawless acts. Done. Then in that new covenant we go, oh, you really aren't keeping a record of wrongs right now. You even though I still fail, there'll be relapse moments. I'll still get things wrong out of my flesh. You still cover me with grace and you continue to cleanse me again and again and make me new every day because you call me righteous and you call me your own. And, um, there's such a love behind that kind of grace. You know, even as parents, like I look at how our kids just handle things not well. And we're like, it's okay. We're going to do this right tomorrow. Like tomorrow's a new day. There's new mercies. That's not who you are. It's just what's coming against you. And that's the temptation is to respond that way out of pain, fear, insecurity, whatever. But you are loved. And like fundamentally, if we come to receive that, you know, Ephesians says, then all of a sudden you'll begin to experience the power of God and the fullness of God. And I'm like, man, I don't want to motive to be loved, to experience his power, to carry his power, but goodness, what a nice, like silver lining, what a cherry on top. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. You know, and I,
0: it's so funny because we so don't want to come to the end of ourselves. And yet that's where we find, I really believe that's where we find God in a brand new way. As you were talking about, you know, um, he saw that woman at her worst. One of the most revolutionary moments of many that that the Lord revealed His love. I was um, pregnant unexpectedly at forty,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and I'm not I'm not proud of the fact, but I did not handle it well. <laughs> I I was I mean I had just come out of a dark night of the soul. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, really, really? But at the same time, um, my first response was, you know, Lord, uh, may it be to me according to your word. I'm, I'm not my own. I've been bought with the price. Yes. But then the next response was to absolutely freak out. <laughs> and I couldn't, I could not get okay. I mean, I kept trying to do the math. Yes. Tell me about it. So like, it turns out I'm going to be actively parenting for 35 years. Okay. I never planned that. I never planned that. And yet I remember I almost felt like I was this toddler on the floor, just kicking and screaming, throwing a fit. I wanted God's will, but my flesh was just freaking out. I had the most, most beautiful experience of just sensing the Lord, just kind of standing there watching me and going, I know, honey, I know. I know you don't get it now, but it's going to be okay. And I, I realized I have never, as a good girl, because I am, I am just like, I'm a rule follower. I'm a good girl. But I had never performed more poorly, yet felt his yeah. love more completely. Yeah. yeah. At the end of myself, at my very worst. And when we can discover that love like that, oh my word, everything changes. But it comes it comes from being willing to get still. And and so I appreciate that. What as you talk about rest, what are some of the other rhythms that God has used in your life?
1: Well, the restore one I write from a place of just, you know, wanting to steward, you know, the role of, of the roles and the responsibilities. But I found at three o'clock every afternoon the kids would come home from school and I'm like, I know I haven't seen you all day, but mom needs a nap. Like I had no energy. I had adrenal fatigue from traveling. Um, I would might only be gone four nights a month, but I'd be on nonstop in those times of travel, teaching, signing, sleep for a few hours, speak again, sign, come home. So you'd be like 30, 30 plus hours of being on and then coming home for quote unquote Sabbath and just like flatlining. And so it wasn't restorative and I knew that I wasn't giving them what I wanted and so just got real intentional about my diet exercise r- rhythms and routines of just regimens of like don't don't eat the things that make you spike and crash you know don't eat inflammatory foods that make you kind of feel yucky and so i, I reluctantly took my family through whole30 a couple of years ago and as a result, we're all a little bit better. Um, And and some of those things have stuck, just trying to eat, just be more mindful of my body of energy. Because again, like, like you, right, when you're in your 40s, and you're raising a toddler, um, that's no joke. (laughs) That is no joke. We still have we have prom and we have pull ups at night in our home. We're in that season. And I'm thinking, Oh Lord, like I don't have what I had in my twenties. So you're going to just have to help me be all the more intentional in taking care of my body and stewarding it and honoring it as a temple that you've been given, you've given me. And I don't want to take it lightly. I don't want to be ungrateful. I don't want to have body image, hatred and loathing. I want to be, I want to even honor the, you know, the scar from three C-sections and honor the age spots when they come and just know that. I'm going to do my part in just taking care of myself to the best of my ability. Um, So that was restore. It's all about physical strength. And knowing that some of those actions actually uh, bring serotonin when you raise your heart rate, which is, The happy hormone and, you know, because as women, as we age, we have hormone issues too. And so trying to put those practices, I write, there's science in every chapter. So I'm not going to go into it here, but how all these activities actually help you uh, with chemical imbalances. They help you with your hormones. They help you just be more mindful of what we need as women to function and, um, in under the weight of a lot of responsibility and to do it to the best of our ability. So that's restore. What would you
0: say to that girl who goes, I know. I know, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't seem to get there. Yeah. Any advice for that girl who goes, yeah, oh, I, I think I'm going to find another podcast. She's talking about eating right and exercise.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Please stop. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think you only get there when you realize how costly it is when you don't. Mm, you realize yeah. what it like when it becomes tangible in front of you, what you're losing by every decision you make against that. Um, I understand, I, and I say this with a lot of grace, like I understand that food is addicting, just like technology is addicting. And I, and I know it can become disordered. Like we can eat disordered for comfort or we can crave things. And then, but in the end, I think sometimes it's pulling away and going is the life I lead the life that longs to live in me. Yeah. I love that. I love that's the first question I ask in the book, because it's kind of like every little step. While it might not seem that significant, over time it becomes largely significant. And um, it's not that I don't eat like a chocolate chip cookie, but it's that when I do eat one, I I look at kind of the kind of ingredients we make and put in it, and um, and if it's clean eating and whole food, and I'll, I'll still eat a cookie, and I might eat one every day, you know, if it's like made with ingredients that aren't bleached or processed. And, you know, part of it's more just about being mindful of the processed food that sits on shelves for weeks and months, knowing that there's, there's chemicals in there that your body really can't break down very well. And that really good food is fresh. And so part of that's just figuring out practical ways to do that and implement that every day. It's not that fun. And with teens who are like, wait, All I want is like snacks in a package and pizza, you know, um, but even then, uh, we see mood, you know, your, your gut health is, is connected to your, your mental health actually. And we see even the kids' ability to focus at school in those afternoons are dependent on what they eat for lunch. So, you know, partly again, it's some people haven't really seen the connection. That's why I spell it out in the book, the connection between diet and mental health. Uh, but when you start to see that, and you start to read the research and understand what's happening in your body and your brain, then you're going, okay. Information helps me have some sense of agency over what I decide.
0: Yes. Well, and I think it gives us it gives us the incentive to partner with the Lord. And go, okay, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, you have a better way. And I think the thing that has been helpful for me over the years is to realize that the same grace that saved me is the grace that can change me. And as I invite God, even into that place where I feel so out of control, he's so faithful. He wants to help us. And so I I love that you're giving such practical advice. That's awesome. So we've got rest, we've got restoration. The last two rhythms are output. Can you
1: talk about those? Sure. So the last two are connect and create. Connect is relational health. So to me, for women, this is a big one. Uh, Our, our friendships, you know, how do we become the friend we wish to have? For those of us who feel lonely, how do we open our homes and have potluck over perfect, you know, by not creating a, a bar that's so high, nobody ever wants to have us back to their home, but more just a home of hospitality and openness that just says, come as you are, bring what you have in your fridge. I will make what I have in my fridge. Like we don't have to plan this weeks out. It can be in a moment when someone just needs to be around a friend. Um, Another one's on marriage, on just loving the one you're with over the long haul, you know, knowing that there's, um, you know, we've walked through with our spouse highs and lows and not letting the lows take us out and divide us because lows are real and raising, especially kids for a lifetime is real. And, you know, I was laughing at what you were just saying too. I agree about the whole, like Gabe and I went for a walk yesterday and it had, I had to say it out loud again and I get over it mostly, but every once in a while it hits me and I go, we'll never be empty nesters.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: That's real, Rebecca. I mean, that's real stuff. And it's, it's, it's good because when they're young, it's like no big deal because everyone has kids. But then when everyone's kids leave, yeah, you realize like I have, I have an adult son who's 18 with an IQ in the forties. Hmm. So, um, that's a real thing yeah. that you navigate in a new way when like the siblings leave and he doesn't, or now his sister will be home too, but you just don't know. It looks different for everyone. And, and I think sometimes I see his frustration level with that of going like, I want more independence, but I'm largely nonverbal and I can't quite, connect the dots in ways that I want to. Um, that's hard.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I know we're kind of facing some of it. Josh um, was born um, with low muscle tone and actually they thought p- perhaps down syndrome turned out that wasn't the case. And, and in a lot of ways, you know, he's, he's able to mainstream some of, of school and, but we know his future will be different than our older kids perhaps or or maybe not we're in that strange place of uh trying to to imagine what can be for him and even stretching a little bit beyond but at the same time realizing that there will need to be people in his life supporting him how did um how <laughs> I could be a whole nother podcast of of how to give that to the Lord and accept our new normal, that this is the life that we've been given. And I keep telling myself about a lot of different things. Just that verse that talks about my boundaries have fallen in delightful places and how not to compare my life with other people's lives or um, like you're saying, what what will it be like? What's the Lord saying to you?
1: Yeah. One of my favorite verses is you hemmed me in behind a before you live. You have laid your hand upon me. I mean, I don't create those boundaries. He did.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I have to trust that. And that they're good. <laughs> they're good. Exactly. And so when he when he has his hand on me, that's this nearness, that's this intimacy, that's this Emmanuel. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow, you're with me. And I, you know, it's like nothing that happens in our lives hasn't been sifted through his hand. And I think, man, maybe that really is, I could be so bullheaded or so driven, um, that this is just a tender way of, of letting my vulnerability stay high. Um, I look at Paul when he says, you know, take the thorn, thorn is not granted to be removed and, but it's directly connected with that, that, that your strength would be perfect in my weakness. And I'm thinking, wow, that's such an interesting parallel there. Um, God allows a thorn or something that just seems to linger and to stay maybe stationary for an indefinite future. It's not taking us out. A thorn doesn't kill you, but a thorn is there and you can't avoid it. And it's it's irritant and (laughs) it's, you know, Mm -hmm. it almost refines. It shows you who you really are and the way you react to that thorn. And I kind of feel like my son is not an irritant, but he can be if he wants to be, you know, and I can allow him to be that right. if I decide that we're just going to have a standoff in the kitchen about what, how much, you know, how many bags of Cheetos he should eat, right? So, so for me, even the health piece, the, the diet piece has also come for me out of being his mom going, he's not going to actually be able to make mindful decisions for his physical health. I'm responsible for that. And so I have to set him up in ways that he can win and not feel like he's being told no constantly. I gotta just fill our home with options that he can have. And so he has agency and he has, you know, independence as a young man who has a will and a mind and emotions just like I do. And so part of it is like, I don't know. I, I think motherhood makes us all surrender. Being a wife makes us surrender. And I I heard a, a quote recently and I would love to share it with you really quick um around this idea of create or I'm sorry connect because it hit me so hard. <laughs> Gabe and I hosted a marriage retreat last weekend with Emerson and Sarah Egrich and he wrote love and respect and just, oh, they're a wonderful couple and <clears throat> they've been mentors. I write about them in the chapter of marriage in the book where we went to their house, what we thought was a tune up and 21 hours later into counseling, we're like, okay, maybe this was a little more than a tune up. <laughs> but we joke because now he's done this with us a couple times and we host some friends and some couples. And he said, he said, your spouse and your children are irritants. Um, they refine you and show you who you really are. Like they're they're literally in your life to get up against you and kind of push your buttons in some ways. It's like the it's like Keller in the meaning of marriage. Like it's for your sanctification. It is actually for your maturity. It is for your surrender. It is for your dependency. So you can want to like just you know run for the hills as much as you can, <laughs> but it's not gonna actually do anything good for you. It's like, no, you staying in the place of perseverance, even when trials come, because you know that it, that it produces maturity and endurance and helps you lack nothing. We can know that finitely, but still in the middle of the fight, we're just like, ah, get me (laughs) out of here. And so every once in a while, I can have a standoff with Kay because he's more stubborn than any human I've ever met. And uh, except maybe me. (laughs) And so, and so yesterday on the walk, I was like, babe, this is forever. Like this could be forever. And I need to just make my peace with that. I need to repent of the ways that I just want to just like literally run out of um, not literally, but run out of fear of being enough. For him, fear of frailty, you know, fear of defeat. Yeah. Um and know that this is God at work right now in the trenches. And he's like, I'm not removing this thing. This is it. This is where exactly I have you, and I want you and I want I need you to stay here because I can't do my work through you. My strength can't be made perfect in you without you walking with this limp.
0: Yeah. You know, I so am right there with you. And uh it's so funny because what we value and what we think is good. Yeah. <laughs> it's so different than sometimes what God says. And you know, I was so I'm I'm pregnant and I'm really basically in denial. <laughs> so <laughs> It was wow. like eight months. I was eight months along before I could go to the baby aisle. I was, I, as I said, I wasn't handling it well. But um, someone shared something with me, and I just feel like I'm supposed to speak it to you as well because I think it's true. She said, um, Joanna, this baby is a reward. It's your reward. And um, you know, I was i knew somewhere in my spirit it was resonating uh it wasn't what i wanted it wasn't what how i thought my life was going to go and in so many ways josh is all that and so much more he's such a treasure but yeah. my what the script i had written for my life you know it just didn't follow my script and how many times when things come to us that just don't fit what we thought um we miss the treasure. And yet at the same time, there is that that grieving that we have to go through of what we thought was going to be and and how to um but get through that to the other side. And so I just I just feel like the Lord wants to say, Oh, you're gonna have everything you need. Mm-hmm. You are gonna have everything you need. Don't be afraid. Don't yeah. be afraid.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. I received that. I I knew when that invitation to adopt joy down syndrome, six-year-old two years ago came back around, I was terrified. I talk about this in the create rhythm. So we don't need to talk about create more, but just how it was a longer story, but it's the last chapter. It's called say yes, Mm -hmm. take a risk. And it was just this idea that I just sobbing to Gabe, I go. I feel like I felt the day we got Kate's diagnosis 17 years ago, where all that we thought life was going to look like changed abruptly. Yeah. Then we moved to New York nine years later. All that we thought life would look like changed abruptly. Now we're here. We are nine years later again. All that we thought New York would look like or or life would look like changed abruptly. And I'm like, I don't want to keep freaking putting all my chips back into the center of the table. Like this idea, like I want to push so hard against. I want to control. I want to quality protect. And yet God is going, every single time you have surrendered with a yes, I've changed the trajectory of your life. Every single time. And here I'm inviting you again to lose your life so you can find it. And I'm thinking, I already did this. (laughs) I already did this. And I told Gabe in tears, I just said, I don't. I feel like I felt that day. And I said, everything changes again. We're Freaking 40 something, and we're gonna bring home a little girl with Down syndrome. We have who's been in an orphanage her whole life, she was abandoned at four months. I don't even know her capacity for independence whatsoever. And but then I keep talking, and Gabe just smiles, he's learned like, just don't say anything, just smile at her, let her get it out. <laughs> and so by the end, I said, Well. It's really not that scary because we're never really empty nesters, anyways. And Kate and Joy will have each other. And Kate and Pierce leave, and that'll go for a long time. Who knows? And he keeps smiling, and I'm like, you know, perhaps God gave us Kate 17 years ago because He knew there would be a joy, Mm and we would say yes. And he keeps smiling, and I'm like, we have to do it, you know. And I finally lose it, and then he hugs me, and. I was like, that's, that's a thing is like the gift that you just described is like, God knew then at 26, there was more to this story 17 years later. And, um, man, that's when I was just like, it was like, I had to just fully surrender again and go, okay, I trust you. Cause I kept saying, do I quit writing? And all I heard was, do you trust me? do I quit teaching? Do you trust me? Do I quit right? Like speaking? Do you trust me? And I was mm-hmm. like, that's not an answer. <laughs> and all I heard was, do you trust me? And I'm like, well, I don't know why I would stop now. Right. Right. I mean, look who you have been for 45 years.
0: Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, I, I think we forget so often that he is altogether good. And He is altogether wise. And He is altogether perfect. And He only gives good and perfect gifts. And and so it's positioning ourselves. And it is the laying down our lives. But isn't that really what the Christian walk is supposed to be for every single one of
1: us? Yes. It is. It is. It is. But, you know, I don't know. I don't think there are... I look at like, I think the measure of a, a life of a believer is is my faith growing, is my faith stronger today? Do I believe for more? Do I trust God more today than I did yesterday? And unfortunately, my faith has never grown until it's been I've been pushed into places I did not choose, and I have like been left literally with no help but Him. Um, and so I'm like, Wow. Well, I mean, if this is what it means, if this is part of that discipleship into being quote unquote a a 2019 version of a of a of, of a woman of faith, right? Or a hero of the faith. I don't call myself a hero, but I look at like people who back in Hebrews 11 trusted God and he did crazy things and they kept just trusting God. I'm like, well, okay. I certainly don't want to miss out on the mystery and the adventure on the other side of a surrendered yes. I don't, I don't want to shortcut that because we really do only have one life here, at least on this side. And you kind of like, why would I want to quality control that one?
0: <laughs> I know. Isn't it funny how we keep thinking we really are wiser than the Lord? <laughs> yes. But the thing that amazes me is as we say the yes, His grace is released on our behalf. And he enables us to do the things that we could never, ever do on our own. Every time I think about your book and have been thinking and praying about this interview, um, the verse in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30 keeps coming to me. It's in the message. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. He's not, live, he's not laying anything heavy or ill-fitting on us. He knows. He knows our frame. Keep company with me, Jesus says, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And that often is in the midst of trial, in the midst of testing, in the midst of things that we don't always (laughs) wish was our portion. But I am so grateful for your vulnerability and your honesty and just letting us see the way the Lord has worked with you. Because I just believe God has something for each one of us, right in the middle of our pain, and we keep thinking we have to have it together, and we have to keep thinking we have to have it figured out. Uh, I just, I just appreciate you, Rebecca. What is if you could leave one word with the ladies who are listening today? What would you share with them?
1: Just got to get comfortable with the pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think I just. I think it's about meeting him in those moments of struggle, like letting ourselves let down, like just, you don't have to keep carrying it and you don't have to keep pretending that everything's okay, that there's a real comfort in a peace that comes from release and honesty. And sometimes like, Probably when this podcast is done, I'll go have a good cry on my knees in the closet because that's my place. But it's also because like there's a, there's such a washing and a cleansing, there's like living water that comes uh, when we just let it go, when we lay it down and we're just reminded again that he is at the helm and he sees everything. Yeah And he has so much in store for us and this bounty that he has for us is readily available now. It's not like you have to do four more things to get it. You actually can just show up and go, okay, for today, the daily portion. I need, I need it right, right now. Yeah. And he won't withhold it. He doesn't deny a heart expectant. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I think, man, that's how simple it can be. Yeah. Nothing complicated.
0: Goes back to that the thorn in Paul's side in. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. So Lord, would you just help us access that grace today? Lord, wherever these women are, whatever they're going through, Lord, may they find you in the middle of their pain. And may we all, Lord, just discover the rhythms of grace, that you are not driving us. You are not setting us up to fail. You are right there beside us and your grace is, is at work on our behalf. And so, Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for this message that you've given Rebecca and the message that you're continuing to write on her life. We just pray for every woman out there that needs to find you in the middle, (laughs) the messy middle, and find that you are more than enough. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: Thank you.
0: Oh, thank you, sweet Rebecca. I cannot wait to see what God does in you, through you, through this book, through women who just make themselves available to God. Appreciate you, my friend.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a joy. Take care.
0: Well, my friend, even if life hasn't turned out the way you planned, please know that Jesus is right there beside you. He understands the struggles you face, and oh, how He cares about the anxieties and the stress that wants to overwhelm your soul. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses because He was tested and tried in every way that we are. So you can let Him love you today. You can let Him wrap His arms around you and renew and infuse you with His strength, His hope, and His joy. He wants to show you the rhythms of renewal that you need today. To learn more about Rebecca and her book, you can visit the show notes at joannaweaverbooks.com forward slash zero you You'll find other Living Room episodes that are kind of geared to this topic and I will encourage your soul, but I hope you'll also check out my newest resource. It's called Moving Forward. It goes along with the last episode, Four Ways to Move Forward in the New Year. If you're feeling a little stuck, a little discouraged, I hope you'll download these sheets because I think they're going to give you a chance to get in touch with God and get the wisdom you need to leave the past behind and step out into everything He has for you in the coming year. Well, as always, if you know someone who might benefit from this podcast, you can share the link on social media or by text by clicking on the three little dots down by the volume bar. At least that's kind of where it looks looks like on my phone as I listen to Apple podcasts. And if The Living Room is blessing you personally, I hope you'll leave a rating or a review. It really does help get these important messages like Rebecca's into the hands of people who need them most. Well, until next time, my friend, I hope you'll let God heal your heart and renew your soul so that you can keep living and loving and leading like Jesus.